podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we are so happy you decided to join us today. Um, before we jump in, I'd like to give a big shout out to our two sponsors. First of all, Dr. Dish, the number one shooting machine on the market. It is so easy to set up and break down. I think that's what makes it so handy to use and why I'm basically using it every day at practice. Um, Mention Coach Unplugged and they'll give you $400. He said that right, $400 off your next purchase. Also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. It's the one-stop shop for basketball coaches. It is run by a basketball coach for basketball coaches at any level. Um, It's... uh, it, you're not going to find anything out there and it's got a 14 day free trial. We believe in it so much. We want you to join. We want you to come and kick the tires around. If it's not for you, it's not for you. Um, but I can tell you people love it. I can tell you that people do not want to leave, uh, go over and check it out. And it's got everything from clinics to videos, to, to, uh, me talking to lessons, to courses, to handouts, to practice planning, to parenting, to whatever you need as a basketball coach, it's got it in there. Also go over and check out our other podcasts, High School Hoops, 5-Minute Basketball Coaching Podcast, Funnel Down Defense, and Leap a 5-Star Review. We'd love those. All right, let's head off to the podcast. All right, welcome to Coach Unplugged. I'm not even going to guess what episode this is going to be, Coach. Eddie, you're, I'm going to have you kind of explain your – introduce yourself and explain your basketball journey, kind of where you started um, and then kind of where it led you and then um, – how you became like, well, you can talk about how you, we'll talk about the run and jump afterwards, but just kind of your basketball journey. If you'd share it with the audience, that'd be great. Well, real quick, I was, I was raised in a, a basketball school called Wasaki. I mean, it was the basketball capital of Wisconsin. The all-time leading scorer, Anthony Peeper, is from Wasaki. I tell everybody he broke my scoring record in high school. Oh, did he really? Yeah, he did it like the fourth year, fourth game of his freshman year. But other than that, that, that was my scoring record, so. <laughs> No, I'll tell you what, Anthony Peeper's from there. And then I went to uw Stout. I'm a UW-Stout grad. And uh, I uh, tried out for the team with the great late Dewey Mintz, who uh, is one of my mentors who did a, an unbelievable job in the world of basketball. And then after I graduated, then I, then I coached with him. I didn't make the team, so I coached with him for a couple of years as a student. And then, of course, I went to Stockbridge and Lafarge and Stanley Boyd, and then back to Stout, and then Mount Scenario College, where we had a lot of success with uh, national championships. I've been overseas in the country of Qatar as their head, head men's basketball coach for their national team, two different stints. Uh, and then and how I, was that? Before we go on, how was that? It, coaching overseas, and we'll, I would like to talk a little bit about it when we get a chance. But okay. Coaching overseas is an incredible journey. Cause I was in a million different countries and I always tell people the biggest thing I enjoyed was two things. Number one, it was nice just to coach. In other words, I had managers, I had personnel, they took care of everything. Okay. I, all I did was coach basketball, you know, and as we know, Steve in high school, you're a jack of all trades, you're a master of everything. Right. You got a fundraise. You got to do everything from wash the uniforms to schedule the bus. Sometimes you have to drive the bus. And so the thing is, is that it was so nice to be in the professional setting where I, all I did was coach basketball. That's all I did. And the second thing I'll say about being overseas in this environment 
it was, it was nice to see the entire world on somebody else's nickel. Right. Well, I'll tell you, it was nice. I really enjoyed the process. I was there at two different stints. Tried, we, we tried to qualify for the uh, 2008 Olympics. Got beat by Iran by five to go to the Olympics. You know, how wonderful would that have been? Right. To be the head coach of the Olympics in 2008. And uh, so it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, that's uh, is it. Is it different dealing with professionals than collegiate or high school? Well, I'll tell you the one thing that was different is some of my team that spoke speak English, so you have to have an interpreter. Uh-huh. The thing is, is that when you have an interpreter, sometimes it's the message is lost in trans translation, transition. So, but it was good. The guys were great. Uh, my manager was extremely great. Obviously, the people that were in charge of the program were really good to me and and uh, we won two gold medals we won the golf and we won the asian we beat uh, yao ming and the heavily favored china chinese team twice in the asian tournament and so you know i it was it was wonderful we we had a lot of success and of course we pressed <laughs> and they liked that i bet and then what happened where'd you go after that well then of course when i came back then i then i got the why why i was there coaching the head coaching job at UW Stout opened up, and so I got I I flew back uh, to interview for that job. Got that job. I was offered the job at four o'clock in the morning in uh, Yugoslavia, which is where we were training. And uh, then I was at Stout. I've been at Stout for uh, for twenty years, and then I retired two years ago. And now I'm uh, kind of bopping around. But uh, one of my run and jump camps uh, up in Cameron, the uh, lady. Lady coach up there, Kim Weber, asked me if I wanted to help out a little bit. So the last couple of years, I've been helping her out a little bit, just kind of doing uh, some of the run and jump stuff, some of the defensive stuff. It's been great. You know, retirement's great, and running the run and jump camps have been great. And I've been kind of on, the, as we all know, in retirement, you kind of get on the road and you don't stop running. Right, right. I know. I told my wife, I said, this whole pandemic thing, because I'm probably about four or five years from retiring, and I told her this um, – if, if it wasn't for not being able to leave the house, this would be, this would be what retirement would kind of feel like, you know, <laughs> I said, I could do this. I could do this. Um, <laughs> that's funny. All right. So let's talk. So let's talk about the run and jump. How did, how did the run and jump come about? Um, you know, talk about that a little bit, share that with our, with our audience. Well, I've always been an outside the box thinker. In other words, I always wanted to do something that a lot of people didn't do because I wanted to be you know, tough to prepare for, hard to coach against. I wanted to take the other coach out of the game because you, know, you don't have a lot of control when you're being pressed for 84 and 94 feet for 40 minutes. And so you can do all kinds of things. You can try things and some things work better than others. But I want to be that kind of guy. And obviously I studied a lot of Rick Pitino. Uh, you know, the, uh, he obviously is a big run and jump guy developed my own system in terms of things that I liked, things I didn't like, rotations I thought were better. Started doing more stuff in the half court, a lot more trapping in the half court rotations. And the biggest thing with the run and jump is it allowed me to play more kids. Because if you're going to run and jump for 40 minutes, you have to play a few more kids. And coaches will tell me all the time, they go, coach, I only got six kids. And I said, okay, coach, I'm not going to disagree with you. you. You have six players. But I give, I guarantee you, seven, eight, nine, they probably could be pressers. Right, and the thing is, you don't, you don't necessarily put 
uh, 10, 9, 8, 7, and 6 together on the court. You, right. put, you put 10 and 9 with 1, 2, and 3, you know. <laughs> I said, all you got to do is teach kids. How, I said, teach kids how to run, teach kids how to rotate, teach kids how to pressure, teach kids how not to foul. And now you've got a happier team. Of course, 7, 8, and 9, they're, and they're not going to be on the floor for a long time. Right. They might be out there for a minute. Right. I'm out there for two minutes. Right. Guess what? Now I got mom and dad's happy. Fans are happy. The kids are happy. You're developing your bench. Now all of a sudden you're playing 10 kids. The other team is playing six. You obviously put them in a fatigue situation. So the thing is, is that the run and jump to me is the perfect defense for having a program where a lot of kids will play and be productive. Because if you're seven, eight, nine, and I tell that to our kids, you have obligations. You have, we have things that you need to be able to do. You can't just run on there and turn the ball over and jack up shots and be non-productive. You've got to be productive or you're not going to be in the seven, eight, nine slot. We'll find somebody else. Right. So, and, and Wisconsin basketball has, you know, we went to halves a while ago, like three or four years ago and halves has worked the same way. It forced me to play more kids yep. um, because it's 18 minute halves no one can play 36 minutes hard. No. So, so I had to for it, it. It's similar to the pressing. It forced me to play more kids, which is a good thing. I think, especially at the high school level. Um, so give us some, give us some tidbits on the run and jump. Like how, how, what, 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 what different sets do you have? How do you do it? You know, just share a little bit with the audience here. So the thing that with the run and jump is it, I think it's extremely easy to teach. In other words, it's not, you know, again, I've always been that guy that's kind of like motion offense. You kind of give them a few simple rules, and then you teach them how to rotate, teach them how to run, teach them how to, to, to defend, et cetera. So the run and jump, you know, what's different about my run and jump is I, I teach it. It's not a zone. It's a man-to-man. But I start in a formation because I always my, – my biggest problem with teams is when they try to get the ball in quickly and someone busts loose and someone's wide open. So in other words, our, our, our base formation is like a one, two, two. Somebody's on the ball, two guys at the elbows okay. off court. And the thing is, is that the reason we get there and we don't have to be exactly in those spots, but we get to those spots so that then we identify who's our man, who's coming towards me. Who, who do I, I've got 21, I've got 32 because I need immediate, I want immediate ball pressure. And then I want, when the ball comes in, I want immediate ball pressure. Well, the thing is, if that guy is open, and if the guy is open, we're okay with it. Right. It doesn't hurt us at all. Right. But we start out in a formation, but then we rotate, we morph very quickly into the run and jump into the man-to-man. Okay. And our, our simple rule is we push, we, we jump middle, and we trap sideline. So when we jump middle, if the ball's dribble middle, we jump it. Which means if I'm jumping, your, your man's coming towards me, Steve, and I jump him. You keep right on running. That's what the run and jump means. If you so, say, all, so say that again. So I'm dribbling to the middle of the court. Well, you're on defense. I'm on defense. Okay. And your man's dribbling to the middle of the court. Yep. And I'm in the middle. With I'm in the middle of my man's off to the right-hand side. Yep. Come to the left. Then I will jump your man. So you're going to – so, so here's my right. issue with this is kids go around that. Why do they go around that? Yeah, when I jump – when I jump, I, I stop short. In other words, I don't jump, I don't jump right into you because I'll probably foul you. Right. 
I got my hands up. I probably stopped six, seven feet short. You're not going to go around me. And obviously you're defending that player and you're on the, you're on the hip of that player. Right. And then he's probably going to try to throw it over the top of my head and you keep running and running. And now you'll take that guy. You'll take my player. So that's where the run and jump actually the jump and run that comes. That's where the name comes from. Now, if your man goes down the sideline, now I'm in a position to trap him on the sideline and we both will trap him. And, And usually in my press, I'm the guy who cuts him off. You don't. In other words, you just stay on his hip and funnel him down the sideline and I trap from underneath. I like that. That's kind of the basis of the run and jump. Right. And so the thing is, is that we might start in, we might, our formation might be a one, two, two. Right. Two, two, one. It might be a two, one, two, but again, it's all the same. All we do is we'll take the player off the ball because maybe you're kind of busting out on us down the middle a little bit. Right. Well, maybe we'll go in, we'll take the player off the ball and put him in the middle of the floor. Still okay. a man-to-man. Still ball pressure. If a guy player cuts through, we got to make sure someone's accounted, he's accounted for. We don't just let him go through and stay in our spots. Right. Because this is a man-to-man press. And then what we do on, and then what we do with our colors is we have red, white, blue, and black. If we're in black, we face off and deny, looking for a five-second count. If okay. we're in red, we will trap the first pass in. If we're white, that means we jump middle, push the ball middle, jump middle. If we're blue, we uh, push the ball sideline, trap sideline. And how do you how do you teach that progression? Well, like, what do you start with? Like, the if you, if no one's ever run it before, how do you start that? We teach we teach positioning. Okay. There's a lot of three on three, a lot of four on four, a lot of one on one. We teach kids how to run. In other words, we have one line one line in the middle of the floor, and a cone on the left wing and the cone on the right wing as we're pressing. Okay. So I'll run up to that I'll run up to that cone and then I have to turn that cone's not going to stay there. That's that's the offensive player. And the offensive player is probably going to take off down the side of the side of the floor side of the floor. So I'm teaching kids how to run, close out, turn and sprint because that guy is going to be going. And that's what you want. Right. You want ball in an uncontrolled dribble. You don't want guys standing there holding the ball. You want to get them going. Right, because if they can see, then they're going to, yes. It's like football. I talk about football all the time. If you don't pressure the quarterback, you're dead. But before we uh, go uh, finish up the podcast, I'd like to give uh, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You know, we all kind of going through those um, those winter blues. And, you know, I'm, like I've said before last week, I'm married to a psychologist. And I think she did her graduate school degree on sad like the seasonal affective disorder which i think all of us have a little bit of but better help is the answer they have licensed professionals they'll match you with a therapist um within 48 hours so you gotta love a company that's going to do it um you can you can meet with your professional therapist online um they have clients all over the world um, they can, you can send messages and, and communicate with your therapist at any given time. Um, and it's an affordable way, you know, for, for of traditional therapy. I know, again, like I said, my wife's a psychologist and I, and I just know um, not only coming out of the pandemic, but all of those things that um, we're all looking for a little bit of extra support. Um, and I think better help help help.com is the answer. Um, and when I, we have a special offer, um, that they'll give you 10% off your first month at better help. 
com backslash hoops h-o-o-p-s so let me say that again better help h-e-l-p.com backslash hoops um enjoying the two million people that have changed their mental health um and an experience from an experienced professional so go over and check it out um and have a great monday like i tell my students remember one seventh of your life is on a monday so enjoy the day Right, right. And then how do you, okay, so I have several pet peeves in 30 years of coaching. One of them is people that turn the ball over, which would be, if you're playing for the other team, that's bad. And then fouling. So how do you stop them from fouling? How do you stop them from being over-aggressive? You love, you love your kids. They foul. You get, Billy, you got 10 push-ups. I still love you, man. Go do 10. Kids don't like to do push-ups. No. So it's just, it's just an instantaneous response. Okay. One push-ups, 10 push-ups, Billy. Come on, you'll do better next time. You'll stop right. following. And why are they following? Because, because, because they're, they're getting double messages here. What, here's the message they're getting. Coach, you want us to be really aggressive. Therefore, I can hammer the, the, the butt, butt off him because right. you're telling me to be aggressive. How can you tell me to be aggressive and not, and not lay on their body? you got to teach it. Okay. When I'm running you down the sideline or I'm running you down the middle, I'm about three feet away from you. I'm about, I'm not laying on you and you teach that. I'm not laying on you on three feet away. I might be five feet away from you because I've got you running. Why would I want to be laying on you? Right. Now, I'll tell you another thing. When kids are taught, and, and this goes back to the officiating, a lot of times kids are taught to veer into you. Well, technically it's an offensive fall, and some officials are really good at calling that when the offense initiates contact. Right. But if you start veering into you, you got to veer away a little bit. Right. The second thing I'll tell you is we teach when kids get close to you, we raise both hands. We show and we keep running. We raise both hands and keep running. Show the official that you're not putting that bar on it. Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay, um, that works well because you, now you can bang them a little bit. They don't call it. When is the when is the um, when does the turnover happen? Is it like like what are we trying to get as far as the run and jump goes? Here's what I will tell you. Uh, last year when I helped uh, coach at Cameron with the girls, and we averaged, we forced 30 turnovers a game. And, I, and, I, and I, when I did the virtual clinics this spring, uh, I told, I told the, the audience, I said, we could have forced 40 and 50. But if you're up to 30, you've probably blown them out. You, can't, you just can't keep, you can't keep pressing because that's not right. In other words, we could have gotten to 40 and 50. Right. Because a lot of kids don't handle the ball well, or they might have one ball handler, and there are things you can do to that person in the run and jump. You can, you can black them and white the other side of the floor. You can double team them right away, make them give it up. You can do all kinds of things. So I'll tell you right now, but, but, I, but I'll tell you, one of the things I tell our kids is that we're going to keep track of turnovers because turnovers are important. But if we play a really good team, let's say that we might only get 10 turnovers. And, coach, and fans are going to say, and you might say, 
well, coach, the press didn't work very well. And I'll say, why do you say that? Well, you only forced 10 turnovers. Yeah, but they shot 18% from the field. <laughs> You're rushing their shots. No, yeah. I agree. I, 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 trust me, you've seen some of my teams. I'll come at you. And Absolutely. I'm just trying to make you take shots you don't want to take. Or take people taking shots that they're not ready to take. Right, right. Or ready to take. Or, or, or like Bob Huggins says, you're open for a reason. Like the guys that are shooting, the guys that are shooting are open for a reason. Like, go ahead and shoot. Anyway, so. What uh, job does it brings the juice. In other words, how do, you have, how do you have a practice? We just talked about energy. How do you have practice without energy if you're, if you're going to run a jump? If all of a sudden, Steve, you're on my team, and you're just not feeling today. And I put you on the floor, you're my seventh man or you're a starter, but you're right. not feeling it today. Guess, guess what, who's going to stick out like a sore thumb in the press? You. You're going to come over to the bench. I'm going to say, Steve, got to get rolling here, buddy. And right. you have those days because the press gives you energy. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, it absolutely does. It's, it, it, to be honest with you, I, I, I would do it all. I've had years where I couldn't do it. And, I had to go with my personnel and we were still successful, but I would do this every year if I could. Um, just, uh, yeah. So I, I love that. I love that. So, but what I'm what, what, going back to the original question is, is it on the, where does it, is it on the pass? Is it on a long path? Where do turnovers tend to happen in the run and jump? We get them from all, all facets. In other words, we okay. get deflections in the full court. We might get a trap early in the full court. We get tip out. We call them tip tips from behind. Okay. The player will be dribbling. We'll come and tip from behind and get that ball there. Uh, we get we get uh, players on the other team throwing the ball straight into the stands. We always say they're throwing the ball to mom and dad because there's nobody there. Right. A lot of double dribbles. I tell our I, I tell our players all the time is that we don't want to think steal. We'll get plenty of steals. We want to think deflections, travels, bad passes. Because I'll tell you what happens when you think steal. Wow. If you think steal all the time, if you're reaching all the time, first of all, you're going to get out of position. And second of all, you're going to foul. Fouling is taboo. There's three things we do. There's three things with the run and jump we talk about all the time. We want to pressure the ball. We want no fouls. We want no offensive rebounds. And we want no straight line drives. In other words, we want to veer people away from the basket. Because we, we know they're going to miss plenty of shots. We know they're going to turn the ball over plenty on their own without, without us stealing the ball. See, we don't have steals as one of our, quote, categories. Yeah, we'll keep track of the steals. And we might have 20 steals a game. But we don't want the kids thinking steals. Does that make sense? We don't want them thinking. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, that, that, that makes them up. I mean, I love that. That's a golden, I'm stealing that. I mean, it's true. I think here's what, here's for the listeners. Here's what I think is they're going to get the steals on their own. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't have to tell them to steal. It's like telling them to go play computer or uh, video games. I don't have to tell them to do that. They're going to do that on their own. Like they're going to steal the ball just because of what we're doing. Yep. Um, we, all, you know, we all trap, right? So what are we teaching in the trap? If you reach in the trap, automatic fall. You may oh, never it's horrible. Automatic. So we got to teach you. When I'm running that guy down the sideline or running him down the middle, why in the heck would I reach for the ball and bail him out? Because you know the, official, the, officials, the officials are a little uptight. When you press all the time, they get a little anxious. And I understand that because now we're making them run a little bit more. Right. 
and we're picking yeah and they've been they've been at their desk all day the accountant that's been at their desk all day and now they got to come and officiate our game i know it's so true um i love that i there's nothing i tell them we will we're not trying to especially the younger ages it seems like when they trap they think they're going to get to steal i go first of all you're not going to get to steal on the trap it's going to be in the pass and second of all that's not what we're necessarily looking for i love that that aspect of it um, what's the hardest thing to teach with this? Uh, you know, obviously when it's patience, I think the hardest thing to teach is patience. Again, you're sending multiple messages, aggressive pressure. And then you're saying, don't fall. Obviously sometimes teams will clear you out. So you got to have patience in the clear out. You might, there's different things you can do with it. The kids have to have patience. You might run more traps in the half court. You might run more traps right off the initial pass. You might deny their best guard. It's just, it's just teaching them how to flow. And the biggest thing I'll tell you is this, and I, obviously I've worked with a million coaches in the run and jump. Patience by the coach. In other words, as coaches, we want instant results. We want instant gratification. We want instant success. And in the run and jump, you've kind of put yourself in a position where you're kind of stretched out a little bit. And the biggest thing I'll tell coaches is, even if you have to soften the press up, do not give up layups, do not foul, and do not give up offensive rebounds because as soon as you start doing that and the kids lose confidence in it, you'll lose confidence in it, then you have to scrap it. You right. Just, you, can't, you can't use it. So patience is a big thing. Patience. And I've had a lot of coaches, you know, even in my own coaching and teaching things like the run and jump, you have to have patience with your team and you have to make sure that you're step one, step two, step three, three, step four. A lot of times as coaches, we want to get to step 10 right off the bat. Right. I, I think you hit, I think I'm going to say that again, because I think that was a golden nugget for people listening. And this is, you exactly hit what, when I pressured what I've done, you, you can't foul. There's nothing that, I mean, I have no hair because you cannot give up a layup. When you're, pre- I cannot give you an easy basket. If you come down and pop a three while you're moving and you're the fourth best shooter, go ahead. Good for you. Um, let, me tell you let, me, let me tell the viewers about the three ball. You're going to give up as many threes, maybe more, coming out of the press than you would in a half court pack defense. Mm-hmm. You put more wide open threes. But let me give you a, just a quick story. We have a team in our league. We had a team in our league that should shot. 49% from the three-point line. Is that pretty good? 49% as a team. 49%, right? It's very good. Against us, 22%. And I tell people, and I tell people all the time, I said, I said, no, why do you think? I said, do you think we contested every three? Do you think that we all of a sudden uh, they got didn't get as good looks at three? I said, they probably got better looks. They were fatigued, they were a little bit hurried. A different guy was shooting when he wasn't quite ready. The shot clock, in our situation, obviously, the shot clock had run down. They couldn't break you down, break you down. They weren't settled. So a 49% three-point shooting team, on average, against us, shot 22 to 25% from the three. And that, and that is because of the press. Not because I'm a magical genius. It's because of the press. They got wide-open threes, just like they normally would. They got some nice kickouts. They still only made 25% of them. And the, and the reason is, I'm telling you, for some, from again, two old dogs, it's because they're moving and they're not in their comfort zone. They're, right. they're taking shots that they have not taken for the last month in practice or in games. That's why they're missing it. I th- I, that's my opinion. My stats it's teacher. Me 
exactly why. How how long? Let's 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 go down a scenario. I'm a I'm a new high school coach, and I want to put this in. How long will it take me to do that? Here's what here's what I want you to understand, and this is going to blow your mind a little bit. So I've been running basketball camps for the last two years, about 120 of them in two years. Obviously, all they all got shut down this summer because of COVID. So most of my camps were run four to five hours. It sounds like a long time. You have no idea how much they fly. They just go bang, 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 and we're done. This is what I tell the coaches, and this is what I absolutely know and believe. When I'm done in five hours, four hours, you have a game that night, you can run it. Now, will you be great at it? No, but you can run the run and jump press. Because, again, it's, it's easy. All you're teaching is a few simple concepts of rotation, protection, pressure, trapping, rotation, rebounding i mean it's just it's, it's not it's not this is what i tell my teams this defense is not a to b to c to d see when you're a to b if you run a diamond press i know you've run that run a two two one i know you've run that it's a lot of a to b to c to d in other words everybody knows exactly where they should be when they should be etc right and, and it's counters yeah there's nothing wrong with that but the thing is in the run and jump the reason press breakers don't work very well against it because there is no A to B to C to D. Right. You don't know when I'm coming. You don't know when I'm trapping because you know why you don't know? Because I don't know. Right. And here, here's what I'm going to tell the listeners too. The thing with – and, and this is why this it, it's always intrigued me. And we ran it. We ran it for – during my heyday, we were running, running, jump. Because literally what it, it was like running, read, and react or a motion offense. Yeah. Because I basically said, here are the three rules that you have to do and then I let them go and they, and then the rotations were ha and all that stuff was occurring. That's what you kind of see happening. And you, and you didn't, you weren't necessarily teaching the rotations. What you were doing is maybe on film, you would say, Billy probably could have not probably could have rotated a little bit up a little more, or a little bit back sooner. And then Billy looks at it and goes, okay, I gotcha. Right. Cause they do have to see it on film. They have to see, cause when you're running and running and running, but I'll tell you, because it's not A to B to C to D, it frees your kids up. It empties out their mind. It lets them go. So here's what I love about the run and jump is your great athletes can be great athletes. Your not so great athletes may be a little more conservative. When they jump, they don't jump quite as far. When they rotate, they rotate back a little sooner. So the thing is, is that it allows all levels of talent to be able to do this. Right. And the thing is that what I think it does too, is it, um, it gives, it gives them some freedom um to take angle to take angles because again it's a math teacher in me but literally if if we're running at you on the you only have three passes and i'm doing something on the sideline which i call the, the i call them the alleys outside the volleyball lines um if we get you in an alley then then you really only have three places and you're going one direction you only have three places to pass um at that point you know, you can go across, you can go to the middle, you can go down the sideline. That's it. Like, I guess you can go back, but that's not really helping you. Um, so I, I love that because it, it's teaching – well, again, we're teaching them to play is, is one of the big things, I think. So another thing with the run and jump, coaches say, well, when do you take it off? Depends on my team. If I've got a team that's just learning it, a lot of times when the ball comes over half court, we're out of it. But when I have teams that are really good at it, we may never take it off. We run and jump in the half court. We trap sideline. We trap. We jump middle. 
we may never take it off because what am I, I'm teaching kids to be aggressive and, and, to, and to take a, a few risks. But however, this is what I tell coaches. When I'm 20 feet from the basket, there's a heck of a lot more risk than when I'm 84 feet from the basket. So we've got to be a little bit smarter when we're 20 feet away than when we're 84 feet away. We've got to be a little smarter. But I, one of the reasons I like the half court run and jump a little bit, I, how many times have you watched film and go, wow, could we have trapped that? Wow, could we have trapped that? Well, you don't always have to trap, but teach your kids how to trap in the half court. Teach them how to rotate. And what's the different rules in the half court? Well, obviously, we don't want to leave the basket. In other words, we don't want to, we're not jumping away from the hoop. So the bottom line is the, the simple stuff is when we're pushing the ball to the outside, that's where our jumps come from. We push the ball to the outside, we try to jump from there, and we're, certainly we're trapping the heck out of the corners. You know, one of the best drills, you talked about drills before, one of the best drills that coaches should run all the time, I mean, religiously every day in practice, is five around four, four players in the lane, five around the perimeter, and you can do it just stationary to start. And obviously, what, you, what are you teaching? Rotation, 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 because here's what we know. Four players can cover five. Right. But you can train them. Right. And, and four players covering five, that's perfect run and jump and half court trap and run, perfect, perfect drill. Do you ever do that in the full court? You just do it in the half court. Just you don't do five. Court. Huh? Yeah. Do you ever fall back to anything other than man? We do. And I'll tell you what, what, what coaches ask me that all the time. And I say, I say, yeah, I like to fall back in a man because it's, it's easier to get matched up because you're already matched up. But the thing is, is that, cause if you play zone, we do fall back in a zone, but think about it. If we're, if we're playing a one, three, one, and all of a sudden the balls come over half court and my, my low man, in the one, three, one is out at half court dogging the ball. Now he has to run all the way to underneath the basket. And I don't like that. And going back to the run and jump on the full court press, see what a lot of people don't realize is that this is a man-to-man -man press. But it's not a, I got 22, you got 12, you've got it, he's got 11, because it doesn't work. Because all of a sudden, I've got 22. I'm laying the ball up in the basket. And 22's at half court, not even to half court yet. Now, if I got to turn and run and grab him, not effective. If I'm laying the ball up, there's a good chance I'm going to take the ball. I'm going to take cover the ball that's out of bounds. I'm t I got ball. And then the next two closest people are at the free throw line. They got the elbows to start with. And the two people that are more closer to half court, they're back at half court. So that happens all the time. Think about your, your post player. If I feed you, you're the post player and I feed you the post, you lay it up. You're my back guy. You got to run all the way down to get back. Now we get the ball back. Got to run all the way down and get in the post. Now we score, let's say the guard bangs a three, you got to run all the way out of the post to get back. That's doing right. your post player a disservice. Right. It would be a lot easier for him to say, I got ball, maybe trap the first pass, maybe not jump, maybe rotate back through the middle. You know what I'm saying? So the bottom Yeah, so, so here's what I'm going to tell young coaches too. 84 feet from the basket, it doesn't matter. The point guard can guard the 6'9 guy. It doesn't matter. Like he's yeah. not going to score from 84 feet away. And then, trust me, most high school teams are not good enough. You, you can switch it as soon as you get that rotation in the half court. It's not – you got to work on it and practice it a little bit. But very few high school teams can, in five seconds, isolate and get somebody – it just doesn't happen. I, I mean, I've watched enough games. Hey, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Make sure you subscribe, like, um, 
We love those. Um, and send me an email, steve at teachhoops.com. Tell me what you want to hear in the future. Also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Have a great day. Sports Social Podcast Network.